Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Bellerín, otro defensor, otro disparo, Monreal, gol. Marca el futbolista español, marca Nacho Monreal. Pim, pam, pum. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, uh, hello. Hello again. Here we are again. Here we are again. You know what happens um, because of the way we've been playing at this moment in time? we often get people tweeting at us this one thing where they say, you know what, you could just like replay one of the previous Arscast extras and maybe just drop in the name of the team that we're playing. You don't even have to go to the bother of recording a whole episode. And, and I've always thought, no, that's not right. That, that wouldn't work. It's not possible. We couldn't do that. And I was sitting yesterday after watching that game thinking, you know, maybe, maybe we, could. we could. Yeah, maybe. But. The thing is, with this podcasting, you know, you go up in the lift and you go down. In the stairs. <laughs> abseiling, out, abseiling down the outside of the building. Absolutely. Well, look. <laughs> and <I'm>, everyone <laughs> watches you and you're in pain because the harness hurts and it's terrifying. And I think that's why we have to keep doing these podcasts so people can observe our slow, inexorable decline into madness. Yes, I'm quite ready for it, I have to say. Let me ask you, uh, I know we do questions in the second half of the, the show, but are you, uh, this morning, are you naked are you just wearing trousers or or have you got a shirt on? I'm fully clothed. I'm fully clothed. So what that means for my footballing ability, I'm not I'm not exactly sure. Mm. Arsene Wenger, what did he actually he say? He okay, said, Okay, I have it here. Have, yeah, I have it on, here. Let me, it no, I'll I'll play it for you. This is this is what oh, he said. Oh thank you. All right. When you struggle confidence, uh, uh, it's more it's difficult as well when you have just uh, the trousers on it's different it's easy to take them trousers off as well but when you're naked completely i think you have to find the shirt and put it try to put it on again and uh, that you're dressed normally again so hmm well i'll tell you what he's he's wrong there because if you're completely naked and you find the shirt and put the shirt on you are not dressed normally at that point no you can't go out and about like that no, you do need to have pants on it's it's a societal convention maybe it's the wrong thing who are we to judge? But just you would be, you know, arrested if you went out without yeah. any pants on. That's, that's the, the reality. The man has lost his grip on even what is appropriate clothing to wear outside. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Strange no analogy. Trousers. How French. Very strange. <laughs> Maybe he was talking about wearing something other than trousers like uh, jorts, which are jeans and also shorts, or a sarong like David Beckham. Maybe that's what he, he's, he's aiming at here. Something new, something different, something that nobody expects. Perhaps it's a clue think, as to what's going to happen. I think what he's done is he's just seen this Swansea manager 
picking up all these great results and he comes out with all these mad analogies and he's thought, I could put the cart before the horse. If I do the analogies, maybe the results will follow. Maybe that's what's inspiring the Swansea players. Yeah. These tortured analogies. But it's not quite working on the Arsenal team, it's fair to say. No, it would be very fair to say. It was another really disappointing day. Let me ask you, what was your expectation going into this game? I'll tell you what I was thinking uh, ahead of this game. And I, I'm accepting of the fact that we have been poor away from home. I, mm. I, I see our form in the toilet. I'm not blind to those things. I think we're we're playing without a great deal of confidence. But I also kind of expected us to win. Wow. I mean, I predict... Do you remember we talked about the different away games a few weeks ago? And I think this was the one that I was like, we'll definitely win that one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was like, that's the one. I guarantee it. You know, we should win at Brighton. Like they're, they're terrible against the top teams. They've been battered by everybody. However, when the game rolled around yesterday, I... Th- I thought we would lose. And I said to quite a few people, I I think Arsenal will lose this game. And I've done that before. You know, I think all Arsenal fans probably do it in that kind of gallows humour way of being like, knowing us, we'll we'll probably lose this one. We're all going to die. Yeah. (laughs) But this time I meant it because I looked at the team and I just thought, I can't see a way for them to win any game at this point. But really, you know, I looked at the players and I look again, I stress, I know we're in the shits and we're playing so poorly, mm. but I looked at Mkhitaryan, Aubameyang, Ozil, uh, Jack Wilshire in the side, Iwobi, I know people um, have their issues with that, but just generally speaking, I looked at the quality of the players, individual players, and thought, well, yeah, you know, we could win this. Maybe I'm mad. Maybe it's just my natural optimism before a game, but, I mean, I can't say, as I said in the blog today, when we lost, it was like you know, you, you're kind of beaten down by it. Um, but I just thought, fuck, you know, if we can't beat Brighton, and we didn't. Yeah. Well, I mean, Thierry Henry, when he eventually returned to the Sky Studio, did say, I, I kind of felt Arsenal would lose this game. And I felt the same. And I think that's probably, for me, the worst aspect of it, that it was a match away to Brighton. And I'm, I mean, uh, well, I do mean a bit of disrespect to Brighton, to be honest. <laughs> I was going to say I mean no disrespect, but I do. It was yeah, Brighton. Do. Yeah, yeah, it's fucking And Brighton. we were there and I thought, Arsenal will probably lose this game. Mm. And that's awful. And the fact that they then sort of delivered on that potential was, you know, was kind of upsetting but not surprising as you say and yeah. I, I guess I guess I, I hear what you're saying about the individual quality of the players but I think there's something much bigger going on and mm. actually the events of the past week the Man City game the subsequent stories about things that had happened in the dressing room prior to that match uh, I, I just feel like the players the relationship between the players and the managers is broken down to the extent that I just don't think those players are playing at anything like their level no of course I think we can see that we can see that in results and we can see that in the inability to to turn it around I mean is this a is this a rock bottom have we still got some way to go before we hit rock bottom are we experiencing a kind of slow glacier-like rock bottom that, that that we reached when we lost to Nottingham Forest and we've just been scraping our... Fa- Actually, you know what? I watched a really disgusting film on Saturday oh. night called um, Brawl in Cell Block 99. 
It sounds excellent. It stars Vince Vaughn. It's way too long. It's not that great. But it has moments of real violence in it. I don't know if you ever saw a film called Bone Tomahawk, did you? No. Right. It's made by the same guy who made Bone Tomahawk. And if anybody out there has watched Bone Tomahawk, they will know that there's one particular scene which is ghastly, is the only word I can use to describe it. It's so, so violent. Um, but there's also some moments of real violence in this film, and basically Vince Vaughn is in a in a prison, and he he stands on this guy's head while he's lying on the ground, and basically shoves him along the ground with his foot, and essentially scrapes all the skin off his face, and he turns him over, and there's just all the skin is gone. Is that what's happening to us? Are we having our face scraped off the ground by this continual series of poor results that started I perhaps with Nottingham Forest, Ostersund, Swansea, Bournemouth, Man City, of course, you can you can look at those slightly differently, but now Brighton. Is the is the skin being scraped off our face? I think it is. I mean, in terms of a rock bottom, you know, rock bottom is always seen as the point before the recovery. I feel like we've had rock bottom after rock bottom. Uh, you know, we've sunk as far as we can sink and we're being scraped along the seabed now, face first. Uh, you know, it, it, when you say, is this rock bottom? I look at the fixture list. I look at AC Milan away on Thursday and I think possibly not. No. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, I... It, it could get worse before it gets better, which is kind of unbearable to think about. Mm. When you look at the numbers that uh, that we're producing now, I mean, this is obviously four defeats in a row. It's four consecutive away defeats, isn't it, in the Premier League now? I think we're bottom of the form table in the Premier League uh, <laughs> last five games. Holy crap. If you look at our... If you look at our away form over the whole season, actually, if you look at the just the away games played by the teams, we're 10th. Yeah. And in this league, 10th is practically in a relegation scrap. Um, yeah, it's not... I mean, we've conceded 24 goals away from home now, which is one more than West Brom. Yeah, it's not great, is it? Um... <laughs> I could I could go on and on. I mean, there are some... I mean, I'll shout out to 7am kickoff is by the numbers piece off the back of... Uh, the Brighton game is a, a startling read, really, in terms of some of the numbers that we've set this season. Mm. But it's it is difficult, isn't it, to watch? Yeah, yeah, it's hard. It's hard going. It really is because you know these players collectively and individually are capable of a lot more, and it's hard not to look beyond the big malaise that's that's enveloped the club. And yeah, I mean, it is hard. It's like a slow motion car crash that we're watching. And yeah, I don't know what else to say about it. Really don't. I mean, I'm I'm sort of at a loss for words because we've spoken about this so much and to see it happening again and again and again without anything being done about it. That's what's frustrating as well. So look, let, let's touch on the game a little bit before we get into the, the wider issues. The yeah um, team selection, no Hector Bellerin, no Aaron Ramsey. Was that a surprise to you? I mean, the justification, of course, was that Bellerin has played a lot of minutes. Yes, he has, but it hasn't stopped the manager playing him before. And Ramsey rested ahead of AC Milan, but Mesut Ozil wasn't rested ahead of AC Milan or, or you know, some of the others, Granit Xhaka, for example, not rested. Koscielny Mustafi, not rested. Uh, you know, so where do we where do we stand on team selection? 
Well, I I expected there to be some players missing. I, I'd heard that Danny Welbeck wasn't involved in a session over the weekend. So, I, you know, it was clear that it was in the manager's mind to make some concessions to the Milan game. Um, I've actually seen a bit of criticism online suggesting that the manager kind of half-arsed it, that he didn't really go one way or the other. You know, if, if Milan was the priority, he should have rested more players. Mm. I don't subscribe to that myself. I think that you can't, however much the Europa League is a priority, you can't allow this slide, I know it has continued, but to continue by just fielding a team of kids out there. I think that the club, you know, you have to try and get a good result at Brighton and put out a team that can win the game to desperately try and claim some momentum before you go to the San Siro. So I'm not surprised the likes of Ozil played. Uh, did you think there was anything in those particular names being rested other than their, you know, the, the fact that Bellerin's played so much football and Ramsey has this history of injury problems? They've both been in the press for different reasons over the last couple of weeks? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I don't... Uh, I can understand not starting Ramsey if you're a little bit worried about him from a physical point of view, but he didn't mention an injury, Arsene Wenger. He didn't say he's got a type this or we've got to rest mm. him because he's in the red zone. It was like he's played two games recently and with his history, you know, I wanted to, to give him some rest. But are you telling me that we couldn't have used Aaron Ramsey for 20 minutes from the bench yesterday? Mm. I find that a, a yeah. little bit strange, particularly as Wilshire was an injury doubt coming into the game. Wilshire hadn't trained. He missed the, the game against Manchester City with an ankle problem, only had a fitness test on Saturday. Um, you know, was there room for El Nenny, for example, to come into the squad if you're really concerned about adding some fresh legs to the team? You know, so I, I found Ramsey's absence from the squad entirely a bit strange. I can understand yeah. if you are, if you have half an eye on Milan that you might want to rest him, but I found that a bit strange. Bellerin I also found strange because I don't think Chambers did anything particularly wrong yesterday, but we've seen that he has struggled at right back before. And when you're already struggling defensively, do you deliberately or, or do you um, take the risk of playing somebody who's who's had problems there, who might destabilise your back four even further. But um, I don't yeah, know. We, I, we don't I, know, do we? So we're just speculating. We don't know. I mean, I, I I didn't think Chambers had a great game, to be honest. And I thought that Brighton looked to target him, you know, with that Izquierdo on, on the left flank. And it was relatively successful for them. I must say, I'm surprised Chambers... I know we haven't got any right-backs, but I'm surprised he still gets games at right-back. Like, I, I, when I look at Ainsley Maitland-Niles, by way of example and how well he did as a left-back, which is in no way a natural position for him. I'm surprised. I know they fancy him as a central midfield player, but I'm surprised that when we need a right-back, it's not him. Yeah, in there. yeah, that is a bit strange. I mean, if you're going to play a kid like that out of position at left-back against Chelsea and uh, maybe against mm -hmm. Liverpool as well in the Premier League, you know, why wouldn't you give him a go on his more natural side? Um but hey, it's it's been very difficult this season to make a lot of sense of uh, the team selections and the the uh, the decision making in that regard. Um, Can I just say though, I actually yeah. thought we didn't start the game, and I'm talking about probably Five the first four <laughs> minutes, yeah, <laughs> that badly. I was a little bit encouraged, I suppose, as I was in the Manchester Manchester City games. Really, I thought the the first four minutes or so there were a few little passing moves and Woo, players seemed to have a minutes. bit of appetite. I know, and I really thought, oh, maybe, maybe I was wrong. You know, maybe we're going to turn up to an extent. But I suppose the hallmark of this Arsenal team is becoming that they are so poor at recovering from any kind of setback. 
Yeah. Yeah, it is. And we're also masters of our own destruction to a large extent. That was certainly the case with the first goal. Petacek came for the ball, didn't get there. It was headed back across and Lewis Dunk uh, put it home. I mean, Czech, I think you have to say is culpable there, but um, unquestionably culpable, I should say. But uh, they had a succession of corners and set pieces that they put into our box and kept winning the headers. They kept winning. They kept mm. heading over. There was one really good chance where the, I think the guy uh, will be kicking himself that he that he didn't score. We just were not competing defensively um, in the air, being beaten by a team apparently who are terrible at set pieces. It was the first goal they scored all season from a set piece. Yeah, I mean that's quite extraordinary, isn't it? Mm. Um, I shouldn't laugh. I mean, uh, on match of the day last night, Rude Hullet was taking apart Arsenal's zonal marking system, but I, I don't actually necessarily think it was the system that was the problem. I think it was the application of it uh, and the players not attending to their duties. And Czech, he's obviously definitely at fault on that first goal. Mm. Um, he comes for it, doesn't get it. From then on, it's kind of game over. Second goal then. Well, not game over. Actually, it was game over, I suppose. Well, yeah. I meant it was a goal, but it kind of was game over in some ways. Yeah. Um, second goal then, terrible from Koscielny. Didn't close the cross down. Mustafi just completely misjudged the cross. It went over his head and Murray headed down and it went through check again. Poor goalkeeping, but bad defending as well. Bad in the build-up. Yeah, careless. Mean, careless. There's so many mistakes. Koscielny, careless pass. Kolasinac makes a very strange run, actually. He comes really narrow and just sort of stands directly in front of Koscielny, which creates the space on the overlap. But I just don't think a cross should travel that far and the header be as uncontested as it was. Mm. Uh, you know, you've got so much time to read the flight of that ball. And yet Mustafi got it wrong. Check, I think, is at fault, but I don't think he's. it's quite as bad as it looks, this one, because Murray, to his credit, gets that ball really far down. I mean, you know, if he meets it with his head and when it goes beyond check, it's at ground level. It, that, there is a certain skill in that. If anything, check's error was probably going for it with his hands. If he just sort of outstretched his legs, he probably would have saved it. Yeah. Um, I actually noticed at this point that we've swapped our centre-backs again. That Koscielny made that misplaced pass from the left-hand side and Mustafi was on the right where he didn't make the header. But for the past couple of months or something, it's been Mustafi on the left and Koscielny on the right. And now we've switched them around again. I don't know, to add yet further confusion to our defence. Yeah, I mean, I think it's normally Koscielny on the right when we're playing with a three, right? Yeah, but then I think when we went to a four, because we'd been playing that in a three, we kept Koscielny there. Um, I'm pretty sure about that. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll be proved wrong, mm. but I'm pretty sure Mustafi had been playing on the left now they've switched around again. It just feels like there's no kind of consistency in the makeup of our defence at all. Well, look, I mean, there's cons- consistency in the sense that Mustafi can make mistakes, whether he's playing on the right, the <laughs> left, or, or in him. the middle. I mean, his his thing that he does where he goes mental after he makes a mistake and goes shouting and screaming as if everybody's at fault but him does my head in, I have to say. Um, you know. But, yeah. But he's showing passion, Andrew. Isn't that what, isn't that what we want? <laughs> Like Jack Wilshire, you know, just well, you know what, people. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that 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 was a sad moment for me actually. Yesterday was when the the fans' reaction to Jack Wilshire committing what was a bad foul. I thought that was a bad mm. foul. 
For a player with his injury record yeah. to be flying in like that, it's yeah. not, not ideal. No, it's not ideal. And, you know, he went steaming into the guy, a uh, complete yellow card. Thankfully, didn't hurt him. Um, but that's what got the fans up and that's what got the fans singing. And, you know, if that's where the bar is at this moment in time, then that's a, that's a really sad thing. Um, weird game that it was, though. We got a goal back through Aubameyang. Uh, at first, I thought it was a a miss kick shot from Xhaka, but a replay show, he, he looked and picked him out very well with a good pass. Um, it's, it's a good a, goal, a actually. A very deliberate uh, assist. It, it yeah, will be involved really as good, well, yeah. Really good pass. And and actually, I thought a very neat finish from Aubameyang. I mean, you know, he flicks it with the outside of his boot. Um, I think Danny Welbeck could only score that goal by mistake, uh, whereas Aubameyang meant it. And... <laughs> I've never heard, I must say, as a little side note, as flat commentary as there was on Sky Sports at that time. Did you watch on Sky Sports? I did. I, and what was amazing was just the the, the quiet that greeted that yeah. goal. It was as if nobody could believe it had actually happened. Yeah, and there was almost, I think, sort of a neutral disappointment because sadly for us, you know, we are kind of a, an attraction in the Premier League at the moment, watching us combust and fall apart in this manner. So there was almost a disappointment that we might get back into the game. And it might have been 2-2, Lauren Koscielny, wasn't it, who headed against the post just a few moments after that? Yeah, I think it sort of, uh, it was Koscielny had deflected off the head of a defender and, and hit the post. So yeah, yeah I mean, weirdly, right. we could have been... Uh, we could have gone into the break 2-2. You'd be very hard-pressed to say we deserved it, but, you know, deserve, as we keep saying, has not got much to do with anything when it comes to football. Um, but, you know, 2-1. Okay, 2-1, you're away from home at Brighton, and things have been terrible. Surely there's a response in the second half. Surely there's something that can be said at halftime, whether it's the manager, the players, the assistant manager, even the players among themselves getting ready, going to go out and have a good go and try and break down a team like Brighton, who, as you said, have not been good against the top six. And there was it was so flat again, wasn't it? It really was uh, hard to watch because they looked far more like scoring than we did. Yeah, even when they sat extremely deep. And I kept thinking, have they not got a centre-forward who can run they could bring on? Because if they, if they did, they would have had a couple more goals on the break. I suppose... Glenn Murray did a decent enough job holding the ball up for them and bringing others into play. But every time they broke, I was worried. And, you know, we, I think at one point in the second half, it was it was exa- exacerbated by the, uh, the stoppage for injury. But I think we went about 20 minutes without having a shot. It just, I mean, I, I can't mm. think of many chances we even created. There was one late on for Aubameyang on the volley yeah. inside the box that I can think of. It was kind of straight at the goalie, but other than that, yeah, there was nothing very, really. Very yeah, there was nothing to our attacking play whatsoever, uh, and the subs didn't help. I didn't think, you know, we brought on Welbeck and Enkatia, who both want to be playing centre forward. We're both kind of playing in these weird, like in inverted winger roles, but you know, they didn't really add any width. They didn't really add any presence in the penalty box. I just thought our attacking play looked. Uh, Aimless, really aimless. There wasn't a coherent strategy behind it. No, but it's it's all part of not having a coherent strategy in the first place. Mm. Um, you know, if you if you're trying to play a certain way and it's not working, you bring on subs perhaps to change the way that you're playing. 
But what we're doing is bringing on subs to try and change the way we're playing without knowing what that is. We don't know what those guys are supposed to do, how they're supposed to fit into the system. How are they supposed Mm. to link things up? How are they supposed to connect with midfield? It's basically... It's like playing football manager and just throwing on substitutes and hope that they work. Um, th- there's not much thinking to it. I, you know, it's hard to understand what exactly the thoughts are when it comes to making changes. You know, what what are the instructions? Um, yeah, at least we did make some changes in this game, though. Well, yeah, you but know, it felt almost. Yeah, I know. I know. I heard your question <laughs> to him the other night, and the the answer was not particularly convincing. And it almost felt like some of the changes were, oh, I didn't make any changes last time. I suppose I better just to avoid yeah. that. Um, that uh, well, that when, of when he brought Nketiah on, I, I, I half wondered if that was something done with the Milan game in mind. If he's like, well, if Welbeck gets an injury in the San Siro, he might have to play. So mm-hmm. better give him some Premier League minutes under his belt before that. But what good does it do to give him seven minutes plus injury time yeah. at the end of a game? Really, what what is the benefit of that? Other than he was hoping... Uh, Nketiah would do what he did against Norwich and pop up in the right place at the right time twice and score two very good goals. But, I mean, look, let's not make any mistake. That that change that night was born out of desperation. We were 1-0 down. We were going out. And he just mm. threw on a young striker because that's all he had left. And I'm not taking anything away from what Nketiah did, but... You know, it's not it's not part of a a, a real plan or or a, an in game uh, strategy or tactic uh, to to get us back into it. I mean, um, what did you make of the uh, Kalasinac incident? I thought he was very very lucky not to be sent off. Though, yeah, I have to say, it, in first the first time I saw it in real time. I thought, well, that's just a colli- that's just a collision. Yeah. I didn't think too much of it, but. Oh, to deem it kind of reckless play from him. And I just think, you know, a straight red, I could, you could have some complaints with, but given that he was on a booking, I think it's remarkable that he survived that. Yeah, me too. Me too. Like you, I saw it real time and I thought, no, there's nothing to it. I just thought it was two guys going for the ball and Kolasinac was stronger and unfortunately caught him. But you can see from the replays, he turns into him. He turns the shoulder into him as he's, uh, in the air, and, and the other guy only has his eyes on the ball because he only has his or Kalasinak has his eyes on the man as well, uh, and I think that's why it was very, he was very lucky. I think. Um, yeah, yeah, and I mean, actually, at that time, I forget his name, the right back, the Italian right back, but I was thinking, oh, in, in a way, it's good he's gone off because he was the real threat on the break. He was, you know, Bellerin wasn't playing for us, but he looked a bit like Bellerin for them the way he was getting forward. But in truth. That stoppage really helped Brighton because mm. we were having a lot of possession, albeit slightly passively, before that. And I think it just gave them a breather. It allowed them to recover. It killed any momentum that we were trying to build in that second half. And from that point on, they looked pretty comfortable, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was uh, there was a moment, I think it was earlier in the second half, but I think Iskirdo went through and he uh, took a shot on goal when he could have just played it to a guy outside him who would have had more or less a tap in and they had a goal disallowed well, for offside. Goal disallowed, which was uh, close. You know, it was off, but not by a lot. Yeah. Um, and, and like I said, they looked more like scoring than, than we did. Um, and then, I, you know, I don't know what way to process... Yet another Premier League defeat, yet another insipid performance, yet another day where away from home we haven't turned up. And um, 
I mean, we hear about players having these crisis meetings and everything else. What what did you make of that situation? Because if we look at these players and acknowledge that they're not playing anywhere near as well as they can, um, does it say something to you that a meeting like that and some of the details or some of the information that came out of that meeting was made public? I think it says a lot. I mean, it's not, it's nothing new for the team to have meetings without the manager. In fact, I'm sure it's something that Arsene Wenger probably encourages because we know he's all about giving autonomy to the players. And, you know, the likes of Theo Walcott have made those meetings public before. But what's new about it is that this is a meeting in which uh, the manager and the coaching staff are being not just openly questioned, but almost criticised. Yeah. And for someone to take that to the press, which they must have done, there's no way that you can publish something like that without certainty. You know, you can't just say, oh, allegedly someone said this and allegedly someone said that. You've got to have a really good source on that. Mm. Yeah. Um, for, for someone <laughs> within the squad to do that, I think shows that there are at least certain members of the squad crying out for a managerial change. Yeah. I think they have to be at this point. Yeah. It's so telling, isn't it? Because, you know, the, it's easy to, if you want to dismiss that story as worthless or groundless or made up or fiction, as if the media have got some plan to destroy Arsenal or take Arsenal down, by all means think that. But it's not the case. I know it's not the case. Uh, and I know it's not the case that this story is not fabricated. It is not fabricated. Um, and if players are making public their dismay at what's going on via the newspapers, via the media, then you've got bigger problems than you ever thought, you know? Um, the conclusion that they came, we need more help from the coaches, it's not going to happen. We have to come up with our own answers. I mean, what, what can you say to yeah. that? Uh, uh, well, and I have to say... Uh, half an hour gone at Brighton yesterday. All I could think was these players want change. These players want this manager gone because, uh, you know, when you look at the XG apparently for the first half an hour yesterday, Brighton were very good value for their lead. They should have been at least two goals up. It was actually worse than against Manchester City in terms of XG. And I just think that they, you know, as fans, we look at this situation with the manager and we sort of go, well, we're a bit powerless here. What can we do? And the players, it looks like they're doing everything they possibly can do to force change in terms of these leaks and in terms of their performances. They literally couldn't be doing more. I mean, if it was any other club and you were looking at it from the outside, yeah. you would have no doubt about what was going on. Mm. And actually, the most painful part of it is that we would be willing, if it was a rival club, we would be willing that manager to remain in place because we'd be thinking the longer this goes on, the better. Much like we did, do you remember when uh, Jose Mourinho was having that difficult time at Chelsea? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and we were like, we don't want it to be sacked. No way. We want it to carry on and on and on for as long as possible. And I don't know if this is quite in the realms of that yet, but I don't think it's far off. No, I mean, there must be people who, you know, fans of other clubs who are enjoying what we're going through at this moment in time. Not that I give two fucks, really, what the fans of, of other clubs think about, you know, where we are and what we do or anything like that. It doesn't really bother me um, for the same reason that we can laugh at Chelsea and Mourinho going through that thing. It's just what you do as as a fan. But 
it's where we go from here and how we move forward and and how we how we correct what's going wrong and what is very very wrong that's a thing i mean people uh say if arsene wenger really loved arsenal he would walk away he would resign but mm. managers very very rarely resign they very rarely come to the conclusion that hey it's not working for me anymore. I can't do what it takes to correct this. I can't make these players believe in me. I can't get them to play the football that I want. They believe in themselves. They believe in their abilities. Arsene Wenger will look back on his track record of, uh, you know, relative consistency throughout his his uh, 21 years at Arsenal um, in terms of finishing in the top four, in terms of turning situations around, which he's had to do more and more over the, the last number of years. And he will back himself to put things right by working harder, by whatever it is. So the decision about what happens is not his. And I know people say it's Wenger who decides everything. The decision is not his. Unless he does want to fall on his sword, which I don't think he does. So now no. we now we have to look beyond him and above him, above him. Yes, to to Pat Rice and Jens Lehmann. Can they make? Do they have the balls? That was hilarious, did, wasn't it? Yesterday, did you see that? Yeah, on the TV coverage. For people who don't know, they they panned across the uh, the I guess the what you call it the executive box or wherever the the, yeah. the various executives sit in in the Brighton Stadium and. Uh, uh, the commentator said something along the lines of, oh, those are the men who are going to be making a decision about Arsene Wenger's future. And it was David Miles, the club secretary, Pat Rice, uh, one of Arsene Wenger's friends, Jens Lehmann, an employee of Wenger's as a coach. Uh, what? They're not making any of the decisions. <laughs> no, I mean, well, and there you go. Certain other figures conspicuous by the apps. Any, any sign of our chief executive anywhere? Ivan? Actually, you know what? You know what? I did. Uh, I did uh, a little bit of work this weekend. I know we were talking about impressions and doing Hector Bellerin uh, the other week. Oh yeah, yeah. So I spent my weekend doing uh, doing my best uh, Ivan Gazidis impression. Do you want to hear it? I'd love to. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> you like that? That's uncanny. Brilliant. That is uncanny. Yeah, you practiced that. Mm. Nailed it. Wow. There's a, there's a future for you in this. Thanks very much. I mean, it's a small. I've got a niche. feeling with a little bit of work, with a little bit of work, you could pull off a Stan Kroenke as well. Okay, hang on. I'll just do it off the cuff here. One second. I'll just oh, you right. know concentrate here. <clears throat> How about that? Yeah, it's good. I can tell you've not practiced it as much, but right. it's definitely getting there. Yeah, it's yeah, getting yeah. there. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, that, I think there's some very. You know, it's, it, it's easy enough for them to be seen when they want to be seen, negotiating a big transfer deal for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Mm. And then, you know, suddenly at Brighton, there's nobody visible, nobody audible, nothing from the board. I think that what's going on, actually, is that they're trying to distance themselves from the manager, aren't they? They're thinking, well, if the manager can take all the flack, we can bump him off at the end of the season and we won't have that negative association. We will be cast as the... You know, the new breed, uh, breathing life into the club. It's a, clearly a deliberate ploy in that respect, but I do think that that is cowardly and I think that what's happening at the club is undignified. And Arsenal, for, for, for whatever happens on the pitch, there are certain values you associate with Arsenal about doing things the right way. And I actually think that in letting 
Arsene hang out to dry like this, we are betraying that. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Cowardly is a word you used. It's one I've used before. They're afraid to stick their head above the parapet, lest they be held responsible. And they are responsible. Nobody's saying that anyone other than Arsene Wenger is responsible for what's happening on the pitch. Mm. Right? That's on him. He spent the money. He built the team. He coaches the team. He trains the team. He picks the team. He sends them out, et cetera, et cetera. So what's happening on the pitch is on him. And that's, I'm not saying anything other than that. But there's a responsibility above and beyond that. And the people who have the power, supposedly, to do something about it are not doing anything about it. Stan Kroenke is nowhere. I mean, basically, it's Stan Kroenke. Gazidis is just a kind of... No, I'm not going yeah, mean, to say that. Hang on. If, if, if rumours are to be believed, he wanted the manager out last summer. Ultimately, he his will is insignificant compared to Stan's. Yeah. Uh, that's the man who needs to make the decision, yeah. really. Because yeah. what he says goes. Yeah, absolutely. And look, here's the thing. If you, if you run a business, if I ran a hospital, and I continue to employ a surgeon who kept botching operations and leaving patients paralysed, at what point does the responsibility shift from the surgeon, who's not doing his job properly, to the man who keeps letting him do the operations? I mean, that's where it's, we are with this right now. It's a good right analogy, now. yeah. So, you know, it's, um, it's difficult, and I understand that it's difficult, and it's a, it's a situation that's sort of unprecedented at Arsenal. And you know what we don't have at this football club, beyond maybe Ken Fryer, who, uh, as a board member, has seen uh, some difficult times down the years. We don't have anybody who's been through this. We don't have anybody with the experience of sacking a manager, of replacing a manager, of having to to rework the way the club is, is operating. We don't have that. We've got no experienced people to make those decisions. And they just, uh, as you said, are quite happy to sit back and let Arsene Wenger take all the heat um, and he is responsible for as much as he is responsible for. But we have to start looking beyond that and start asking why the people who are tasked with running this club and making sure that it's operating as well as it can, as uh, reaching its potential financially, commercially, sportingly, and all those things are nowhere. They're hiding, they're invisible, they're cowards. We shouldn't forget that. It's easy to be frustrated at Arsene Wenger because he's there front and center and he's, you know, he's the man in the spotlight. We get that. But don't, don't overlook the role that other people are playing in this through yeah, complicit, through their silence. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, and, I, and that's not to take away from Arsene Wenger's failings as a coach. No, either. exactly. I think that they, of course those things can live concurrently and both be equally true. I suppose the one I feel like as Arsenal fans, we're always looking for a saviour on and off the pitch. You know, maybe Arsenal can turn it around. Maybe Ivan can be a catalyst for change. Maybe Sven Mislintat can find a new generation of brilliant players. So I'm wary of doing that again. But there is one person in authority on this Arsenal team who has got a history of having to deal with replacing a manager. And that's the new guy, Raul Sinehi. He was a director at Barcelona for 14 years. So he has seen managers come and go. Now, your impression of Ivan and Stav will work just as well for him. He's not said a word since he theoretically started his job on February 1st. Uh, I think that's at the club's behest. He apparently is quite willing to talk to the press, has agreed to do a couple of interviews. It's been shut down by the club. They don't want him doing that. Why? Um, Have you heard why? Um, 
I don't know why. My guess would be that it's a similar thing, that they don't want to associate him with the current regime. I think that they're looking at a reboot come the summer uh, and that then they'll allow him to be front and centre and more of a vocal spokesperson. Uh, he speaks fluent English and would be would be happy to, to go public and, and talk about things. The club aren't really comfortable with that at this stage. So we don't really know what his intentions or even really quite what the parameters of his role are. But I hope, given that he is someone who has overseen you know, the, the hiring and firing of managers in the past, that he might be someone who's able to at least play an active role in resolving the current situation. But that distance between board and manager, which is supposed to be reduced by appointments like Raul and like Sven, feels like it's greater than ever. Mm. And I think when you mention Barcelona, what's really interesting, and you think about it, and, and people will point to Chelsea as well, is that the idea that changing manager means you can't be successful is is ludicrous. Barcelona have maintained a level of consistency and success. And of course, it's got to do with the generation of players that they've had and everything else. But, um, you know, you can change manager. You can change manager every few seasons and you can still be successful. Like there is obviously quality and consistency and, and everything else. We've seen that at Arsenal. But I think we shouldn't be too afraid of change. That maybe the first manager we bring in, maybe it won't work. But then you find another manager. It's what clubs do. It's how football clubs operate um well, so we shouldn't be yeah, that afraid I, of it i hope that something else we might learn a little bit from barcelona albeit a very different club in a very different situation uh is the way that they are accountable for things and they're forced to be of course because of the the membership system and mm. the fact that they're fans who are essentially share stakeholders in the club but it means they have to communicate their strategies their decisions much, much more clearly. You know, it's not like RAGM where we just can kind of fob people off. There has to be a public presence from the leadership at the club. And I really hope that that will be part of Raul's role as well. I mean, time will tell. It is remarkable, isn't it, that it's such an important figure. There's barely even been an article on Arsenal.com, has there, about his arrival and yeah. starting the work. But I, I, think, I do think that is because they want to draw a line, you know, create a separation between Arsene and the, the new team. I think that that's pretty obvious, actually. Well, and that you, the, the consequences of that is that they're allowing Arsene to take the slings and arrows yeah. while they wait I mean, for their time. Isn't the other side of that the, the fact that um, his role is essentially director of football? That's what he is. Uh, mm. I know he's called head of football relations, but we, we understand um, why he's called head of football relations. And Arsene Wenger has spoken about his disdain for the for the role of director of football. You know, what does he do? Direct traffic left, whatever it is he said, you know, um, that uh, by highlighting that appointment, yeah. you're sort it of undermining. Yeah, exactly. So tensions. What did you make of Arsene in the press conference yesterday? I thought he seemed very calm in the circumstances. Very yeah, uh, I, yeah. I've been uh, yeah, I've been looking at this. I, I mean, I, I look at him on the bench, and I think this is a guy who's broken by what he's seeing. But then I feel like when I watch him in the press conferences, and I do watch them. You know, we've lost games and then you turn up for the next pregame press conference and he's happy and he's smiling and he's answering questions. I feel in some ways like it's become matter of fact to him as well. Like he's able to compartmentalize these these losses. I mean, last week he was talking about we need to put perspective on our defeats. 
we lost to Ostersunds, it didn't matter because we won the first game 3-0. We lost to Manchester mm. City. They're not a team from Division 5. You know, there's always a way of rationalizing these defeats where he just turns up and the next game, maybe the next game will be better. And that's why I think he has this belief in himself that, you know, he'll put it right and we'll win a game and then we'll win another game and then we'll win three games and then he'll say, you know, we're back on track. We haven't lost. We've kept clean three uh, clean sheets or whatever, you know. I feel like perhaps there's not an acceptance of the situation or an understanding that the situation is quite as bad as it is. I mean, yeah, I, I hear that, but he can't be... He can't be deaf to what's happening in the away end yesterday. I mean, at one point, almost all the away fans were chanting, we want Wenger out mm-hmm. in unison. And then, you know, the the banners were up again at the end of the game. And, and this time, I don't think I really can have any objection at all to any of that. I sort of think fans are entitled to feel that way at the moment. As unpleasant as I might find it, I think it's absolutely fair enough in some ways. Yeah, I mean, he can't be blind to it, but, you know, he's come through, you know, difficult uh, periods before where fan sentiment has been uh, uh, expressed against him and he's come through it. So I don't see why he would think he can't do it again. I mean, what he said yesterday specifically was, he was asked if he was capable of turning things around. He said, yes, because I've done it before and it's the first time I lose so many games on the trot in my life. So he hasn't really done it before. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm not sure he's ever quite come back from something like this. I f- this feels, it's not even the results, it's the sentiment around the results. Mm. I, I just don't think it's recoverable. No, no. I mean, you look at the performances of the players, the results since the turn of the year, the results all season. I mean, we are, James, looking over our shoulder at Burnley when you look at our current I think we form. very seriously are, yeah. No, yeah, I think, I think we, we seriously are. We have to. We have to, because um, that's the reality of the way we're playing at this moment in time. And at some point, you can say, okay, it's just a poor run of form, we'll turn it around. But what if you don't? What if it's, what if it's just normal? What if this is what we are now? And Well, the... That's true, but also the pattern of Arsene Wenger over the last few years, sorry to cut across you, is that he will put together a run of form at some point for kind of eight, nine, ten games, Mm. and then the same thing will happen again. You know, that has happened multiple times in the past few years. So even if we do put a run of games together, it only means so much, really. Mm. Look, we're going to take a little break here. We'll come back uh, with questions and more in part two. Obviously, we've got a game coming up uh, this uh, this week against AC Milan, so we'll we'll touch on that a little bit. But uh, stick with us. We'll be right back. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer the questions that you send to us on Twitter, at GunnerBlog and at Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. Uh, just before we get into the questions, James, I want to say a big thank you to everybody who has subscribed uh, to Arsblog via Patreon. Uh, it's been mm. an amazing response, so thank you very much indeed. We are going to do one of our phone-in shows uh, that we've promised to subscribers. We'll do that soon. We'll uh, post details on Patreon patreon.com forward slash arsblog. Um, you get extra content, good Invincibles podcast. People were saying nice things about that and uh, uh, interview with Tim Wheeler from Ash and there's lots more to come. Um, so if you want to support what we do and if you want to get some extra stuff, check it out at patreon.com forward slash arsblog. So there we go. Um, it's yeah, been great. I think this is a great time to listen to the Invincibles podcast, isn't it? <laughs> it's just, sort of a bit of nostalgia doesn't hurt right now. No, exactly. Um, might make you wistful and also I'm for looking what forward we were. To, <laughs> yeah, I know. It might, it might be slightly tearful. But I'm also looking forward to people asking us, why are we so shit? Uh, for, you know, voice with their voices, not just in a tweet. On the telephone, uh, yeah, yeah. Why? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, uh, and people can correct us when we mispronounce their names. Abs- Very exciting. Oh, that'll be good, won't it? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Instant correction. Um, I'm going to start the questions because this comes from Martin, who's at Thierry's Boot. And he says, uh, is it worth putting a fiver on the Milan game just in case we do an Arsenal or actually turn up and win? Or should I spend it at the chippy? Um, behind which is a serious point. Um, what, what do you expect from the game against uh, Milan? Not a huge amount. I mean, of course, we have to offer the caveat that we might well do an Arsenal and turn up. Um, We might somehow be able to distinguish this from the Premier League and produce a performance. Let's not forget our last away game in the Europa League, we won 3-0. Granted, it was against Ostersunds, but we did at least do the job that night. Um, Milan are in really good form. I think they've won six of their last seven Serie A games. They've got Gattuso in charge. He took over in November and basically turned things around for them after a really dodgy start to the season. They're on their best unbeaten run in nine years and are essentially the the form team in Italy. Hallelujah. Um, yeah, and they come into the game on an eight-day gap as well. So in a period where we've played twice, they haven't played so they should be nice and fresh. So I'm not overly optimistic. <laughs> I see um, Gattuso has been uh, has been watching Arsenal, actually. Um, it, it seems clear from one of his recent interviews. Sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit. 
That's actually him. Sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit. Sums us up. Um, I don't think he was. He is about a hell of a character, I must say. I've been reading a bit about him in the build-up to this game, and he's been praised for his tactics. And he said, "Oh yeah, I, I stole those from a guy I worked with at Sampdoria <laughs> and things like that." He's just uh, very upfront, and he says, "You know, I'm not the the cleverest guy or the prettiest guy. I'm an ugly guy, and my team will be ugly like me." There's some comparisons being made to. Uh, Diego Simeone in terms of his approach and the way he's got this team playing I think it's probably a bit early for that in his coaching career but yeah he's doing a good job there and that's bad news for us yeah it is it's hard to I, I'm not I'm not optimistic what do you think I'm not optimistic either uh, you know we've no Obama Yang we've no Lacazette we've got Danny Welbeck who's going to be asked to to score the goals that we need I mean maybe we don't necessarily need a goal um on Thursday, it would and be very handy. Would help, it would help. Say. It would help, but a clean sheet would help even more. And it's even more difficult to see how we how we do that because we've been so incapable of of getting clean sheets. Um, Petr Cech. Well, that wor- I mean, yeah, <sighs> he's that, been that worries waiting. me. I, he's been waiting and waiting and waiting. I think is it eleven Premier League games we've conceded in consecutively now. Um, I think that might be a record in itself, but. Yeah, I, I mean, to be honest, any result in this first leg won't even make me particularly confident. You know, even if it's a nil-nil, I'd still fancy Milan to score at the Emirates, leaving us needing two. It's it, it's a daunting prospect given the way that we're playing. Um, Do you think the players well, can get themselves up for it, given that it is basically the last thing that they've got to play for this season? And it is a trophy. It's a European trophy. Uh, the reward is Champions League football next season. If if we can't see anything from the players in this game, given the the stakes, given what is at stake for many of them as well... Um, I... I know I know exactly what you're saying and I think yes there is that prospect there is that possibility even maybe the factor of wanting to you know help Arsenal win a piece of European silverware that he's never done for those players who are still loyal to him the the counter argument to that is that this is the time to finish the job in terms of getting rid of the manager who they don't seemingly want anymore okay well look hang on I've got a question here from bum 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 uh sh sh Harrington Sharrington sh Harrington at Twitter on Twitter and he says you said time and again that you don't doubt the players like Arsene but do you think they're playing to get him sacked and that goes into what you're saying do you think these players are deliberately playing below par in order to get the manager sacked I d- I mean, it's an ex- that would be an extraordinary accusation to level. I don't think that they are deliberately trying to get the manager sacked. I just think that the inverse isn't happening. I don't think they're playing for him to keep his job. Is okay, that, yeah, is that, that fair? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. They're not going the extra mile. Um, and and also they're not motivated. Like You know, you're right. Our league campaign is essentially dead. But that's nothing to stop them... Trying, you know, going all out to win at Brighton and playing like it's a cup final because we need to recover some pride and we need to improve our league position. Mm. Uh, and they're not doing those things. I was, mean, do you, what yeah. do you, what's, your, what's your assessment? Yeah, I, I think you're right. They're not going the extra mile. They're not even going the first mile. I think the the players are going through the motions because I don't think they believe 
anymore in what the manager wants them to do. Uh, I, I don't think it's anything as deliberate as going, if we play shit, we will get him sacked. But football is so dependent on marginal percentages to make the difference in games. The difference between a guy, uh, let's say Koscielny yesterday, um, running as fast as he can out to block that cross rather than letting that cross come in. Those are the things which create danger and create moments of danger and and, uh, and you end up getting hurt by them. So I don't think it's anything as deliberate or as any, anything as cynical as that. But I think uh, when you look at the overall picture, you would find it very difficult to make a case that these guys are giving 100%, 110%, whatever the, the old cliche is. They're not they're not doing as much as they can to turn things around. And I think that speaks to a lack of belief on their part and um, it's playing a part in where we are and the way we're playing and our results and everything else. So, uh, you know, there was a, a point in the, the Guardian article, wasn't there, which, um, which spoke about how hurt they were by what's going on and they had professional pride and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I don't think we're seeing that. And I don't, it doesn't absolve them of responsibility either. But ultimately, there comes a point where, where a group of players, if they lack belief in what they're supposed to be doing, then it goes beyond them. As we said about the, the managerial situation going beyond Arsene Wenger, the way their players are performing goes beyond them. And you have to look at the man at the top from a football point of view, and that's, that's Arsene Wenger. So... Everybody's yeah. ultimately responsible for their own thing, but um, that's what Wenger is responsible for. And I think whether it's conscious or unconscious, I think if you sat every Arsenal player down and said, listen, would you like a new manager? I, I, I would guess that the majority would say yes at this point. And I just think if you have that in your mind, it's impossible for it to not influence your performance. I don't think it's necessarily conscious or deliberate, mm. but of course that's going to seep into the way you conduct yourself in your work. If you think, I don't, I'm a bit sick of this boss, to be honest, that's going to affect the way you apply yourself. I mean, one individual you mentioned there, we've got a question here uh, from Rob Sudeby on Twitter, and he says, it's not actually a question, it's more just a prompt, but he says, can we talk about Laurent Koscielny? Um, what did you make of Laurent Koscielny's performance yesterday, Brian? It was bad. It was really bad, mm. particularly by the, the high standards that he set you know, that's where it looks as bad as it is because we know what a good defender he has been for us. Um, he's the captain on the pitch. Um, he he looks a shadow of, him former, of his former self, doesn't he? He really does. Uh, whether it's injury, we know he's got this ongoing Achilles problem. Is he being asked to play too much, too often through this uh, pain that he, he has to go through? Is it affecting his form, his confidence? You know, it is very difficult to play at your best if you're, you know, if, if it always hurts when you run. Um, of course. he's <laughs> thirty. a big thing for a footballer. Yeah, you know, he's 32 years of age. He's going to be 33 in September. He's into the September of his career, so to speak, and... Uh, yeah, he, he's had a very drastic and obvious dip in form. Um, and do you think that is age or injury or confidence? It's probably a bit of all those all things. All of those it? things. I think it's got to be all of those things. 
Um, and when you're part of a team that's not playing well anyway, now sometimes if you're a player and you've got a, a run of form or a bad run of form and you're not playing as well as you can, you've got your teammates around you who can who can help you, right? Mm. That if they're playing as well as they can, you don't look quite as bad as uh, as you appear to be. And, uh, you know, nobody is supporting each other in that regard. Everybody who's having an individually bad performance is also part of a indiv- uh, collectively bad performance as well. Uh, so there's nobody, there's no support um, network there. There's no safety net for one guy to have a bad game because to, uh, too many people around him are having a bad game as well. So, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know what the solution is. Um, does he need resting? Can we afford to rest him? I don't know. I mean, it, it, the problem is that, you know, we keep playing Koscielny and Mustafi, seemingly regardless of what Mustafi manages to fuck up in any given game. Uh, he's out there on the field the next day, which speaks to Arsene lack of confidence in the alternatives. You know, yeah. centre-half is, is an area where we're really struggling. And the more you look at it, the more... You think well, it's kind of amazing that they didn't address it, yeah. Um, when they had the chance in January, the idea that we couldn't afford Johnny Evans seems increasingly risible. Mm. Okay, I've got a question from Nicholas Jordan. We spoke a bit earlier about uh, looking over our shoulder at Burnley, and he is at Jordan Five Nick on Twitter, and he says, "Hi guys, can you do predictions on outcomes on our last nine games for our final points tally prediction, and likewise for Burnley? Let's see how much sixth is really at risk." Um, I, you know, I I don't know that I can do it for Burnley because I don't watch them closely enough to know what they're capable of really, um, but I think we can do it for our results are our games right um okay sure let's let's have a go all so, right so i've got the fixtures here uh boom, 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 boom. okay our next premier league game is is watford at home isn't it off the back of the milan game mm. another so, sunday lunchtime kickoff lovely <laughs> watford at home um i'm gonna say we're gonna win that game because it's a the law of averages is on our side. We're going to have to win that game, a game at some stage, and I think we're going to win that one. Yeah, uh, surely, surely. I mean, Watford, you know, they beat West Brom. They're effectively safe in mid-table now. We have to, you know, we have to win that game. So I'm going to say win as well. It's then uh, Leicester away. Well, yeah, that game is still to be rearranged, isn't but let's, it? But yeah, let's take it as the next one. Um, I think away from home, a draw. A draw. Mm-hmm. I think. Uh, I think we will lose at Leicester, but let's say draw. Let's be optimistic. What if you think we're so going to lose? Say we're going to lose. Oh, okay. We're going to yeah. do different tallies, are we? Yeah, exactly. Okay, fine. So I have us on three. Uh, you have us on four at that. Point. Okay. So then we've got um, Stoke at home. Yeah, we always beat Stoke at home. I'm going to say that we will beat Stoke at home. Yeah. Once again. So another three points uh southampton at home then as well um they haven't been going well recently have they no it's a bit less straightforward typically for us southampton but i am inclined to say that i think we'll win the home game so yeah i'm gonna say that's a win as well yeah me too me too um then we've got newcastle away um i would probably say draw for me yeah 
I'll go with a draw there. I don't think they've got enough firepower to really, really scare us. But uh, yeah, I think I think a draw certainly. Rafa Benitez will make it very difficult for our team to to be efficient from an attacking point of view. Um, West Ham at home. Uh, win. I was, I, I'm I'm being pretty optimistic with these home fixtures, but our record's not been terrible. So I'm going to say, and that's another win. I think a draw. I think we're going to. I think we're going to draw that one for some reason. David Moyes, just to annoy us again, will will pull something out of the hat, uh, which takes us to Manchester United away. A loss for me. I mean, you know, Jesse Mourinho would never miss an opportunity to stick the knife in if it's presented to him. So I'm going to say we'll lose that one. Um, then a big game. Um, Burnley, I mean, who knows what the situation might be there. Burnley at home. The penultimate game of the season. That's mm. the real cup final. Forget yeah. Lyon. That's what we. That's what we're focused on. Burnley at home. Wow. Um, I'm going to say win again. I, I just think we'll win the home games, to be honest, and I don't think we'll win any of the away games. So, I'll um, say we'll win that. I think a draw. I think we've been lucky to beat Burnley <laughs> a couple of times recently, and I think they're going to get one that goes for them. Um, so they're I'm due gonna, one, aren't they? They're due one. Yeah, exactly. Which takes us to the final game of the season, which is Huddersfield away. And I'm going to say we're going to lose that game because it's it'll be so meaningless. That yeah, I think that'll be a reserves team or something. And uh, although it could be Arsenal's last game, you never know. But um, yeah, I think we'll lose that. Huddersfield might be relegated by them. They'll be liberated. And uh, yeah, I think. We'll okay, so I've got us with three, nine. 10, 11, 12, 13 points on top of what we have already. And you have us with 9, 16, 10, 16 points on top of what we have already. How many points do we have at this moment in time? Um, I don't know, about seven, something like that. <laughs> um, we, I'm just going to look at the table we've now. We've got uh, 45. So that leaves us, by my reckoning, on 58 points. And mm. your reckoning is 61 points, which is surely the, the lowest under Arsene Wenger's reign, surely. Yeah, well, I have to say, I'm having a quick look at the Burnley fixture list now, and what characterises Burnley is they're very strong at home, less so on the road. But of their remaining, how many games have they got remaining? Nine games. Uh, one, two, only three of those are at Turf Moor. Right. So, given that, I mean, they're, they're facing some poor teams. They travel to West Ham, West Brom, uh, Watford, Stoke. But, you know, I think Arsenal, <laughs> so some poor teams on the road, they'd expect to win some of those games. Um, but I, I think uh, given that and that they face so many games away from home, I think we will just about be all right. We'll be okay. So you, you yes, reckon... Sixth. We win the race for sixth. The sixth place trophy is ours. Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying, guys, yeah. I'm just going back uh, over the seasons to see what our lowest points totals were. 2010-11, we'd 68 points under Arsene Wenger. Um, what about the year Arshavin came in? What was it then? 2008-2009, uh, 72 points. Um, the only other one I can think of that might have been really low was... Yeah, 68 points in 2006, 2007. 
2005, 2006, 67 points. So I think we are on for an absolute record low in terms of points under Arsene Wenger for this season. Unless we can go on some kind of unprecedented what winning did, How run. many points did we think we were on? We would finish on? Uh, I, I say, by my calculations and predictions, 58. And by yours, 61. Wow. Well, they would be the lowest since the 1994-95 season when we finished 12th. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing. Nervousness. Nervousness. You feeling nervous? Is this making you nervous? I mean, is our Arsenal situation making you nervous? It's a genuine uh, question. I mean, what, what, what is I it? am a bit nervous, actually. I'm nervous about, about the decline being allowed to continue. Mm. You know, as I say... The table is a bit misleading. We talk about being sixth and clubs say, oh, it's not so bad to be sixth. Well, the way the Premier League is skewed now in terms of having the top six and the rest essentially battling relegation, we are effectively bottom of our own mini league. Yeah. The fact that we're having this conversation about Burnley when you compare the results between the two teams is absurd. Arsenal are in a a league of their own, which is the top six, uh, and they are adrift at the bottom of it. Um, and I guess I worry about about wh- where that goes from here because you know seventh, seventh, the team can come seventh. Their primary aim is to stay up. Mm. Could we do without Europa League football next season? Absolutely, I think we could. But I mean, uh, maybe that would hurt your chances of attracting players. Whoever I, signed for a club to play for the Europa League, that's play true. in the Europa I didn't League. Pull- Paul Pogba signed for Manchester United when they weren't in Europe. Um, yeah, didn't Kante uh, uh, sign for Chelsea when they weren't in Europe? Yeah. Is there a benefit well, to... People will do it if they believe in a project that's going to get them back to that level. That's the thing. Yeah. And I worry about the trajectory of this team. I mean, this was a question from Duncan L. Roberts who said... Do you think signing Aubameyang was a mistake? We're clearly approaching a period of rebuild and his peak years are going to be wasted. What, what do you make of that? Um, did we make a mistake or did he make a mistake? Is that the question? Did Arsenal make a mistake <laughs> or did Aubameyang make a mistake? I mean, it is, it is an interesting decision he's made I, when you look at it, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I suppose in, in some ways it, it tells you that the reputation of Arsenal as a football club is not perhaps as damaged in the minds of players as it might be in fans. Uh, mm. That it's still seen as a big club and, uh, you know, obviously money and everything else will have played a, a part in that. But I suppose what I'm looking at is the fact that we have brought in Sven and Raul that uh, despite the invisibility and cowardice of the board at this moment in time, uh, as they let um, Wenger take all the shots, there is stuff going on in the background that speaks to a change in the future. And if Obama Yang was convinced to join Arsenal well, as a guy who could turn it around, a team in sixth who aren't going to get into the Champions League. I mean, he, he'll want to be playing Champions League football. I, I wonder, you know, along with that, and also I wonder in particular with, with Mesut Ozil signing a new contract, um, if there wasn't some assurance of something else 
down the line. That I I I find it. You know, you looked at Mesut Ozil yesterday. Um, yeah, he looked. He looked frustrated. He looked unhappy, and you can understand why. Um, I just wonder why would a guy like him, with his pick of clubs, really on a Bosman? I think he could have gone to many clubs on a, on a Bosman and earned more money than he's going to earn at Arsenal. Why would he sign up for more of the same without some knowledge or some assurance that something was going to change? Mm. So that's my that's my kind of light at the end of the tunnel. So I see speak. what you mean, and 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 when you and if you if you envisage that maybe there would be a change this summer, Aubameyang is a great tool for any new manager to have. I think, um, you know, I, I think he's he's actually the, the commentators were slightly laying into him yesterday during the game. I thought, uh, you know, talking about the missed penalty and he's not had a great start, but. He's not really had any service of note. I mean, how many chances has he missed? You know, Aubameyang. Not too. Yeah, yeah not too many. I mean, it, it's kind of it's perhaps casting uh, Alexandre Lacazette in a favourable light, seeing that Aubameyang's not exactly plundering goals in this Arsenal team. Um, but I think he could do. I think he could do in the Premier League. I think he's suited to the Premier League. So yeah, I'm, I don't think it was a mistake signing him. Uh, I think it'll just be a shame if we can't turn things around quickly enough to take advantage of him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. It's a good point about Lacazette, to be honest. Um, I mean, because, you know, people rave about Salah and Kane, rightly so. But how many games have you watched this season where you've thought, well, Salah could have scored five in that match hmm. and he came out with one? The amount of chances that Liverpool create is amazing, to be honest. They're brilliant to watch going forward and Salah's profiting from that. And don't get me wrong, he is excellent. But we seem to castigate our strikers when they miss the one chance they get in the game. But that isn't how it works. People who score lots of goals need those opportunities. And I know that some of that is on the, the striker themselves to be in those positions or make those opportunities for themselves. But we do not put things on a plate for the guys playing up top. Mm, yeah, but also I think perhaps the frustration at them missing the one chance they get is because we've come to accept that we are creatively not as good as we should be, that we don't make as many chances as we ought to, given the players that we have in the team, given the the creative uh, the creative kind of players that we've got. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's been a problem for, for such a long time now. Um, so yeah, anyway, look, here's a question from the Loose Cannon, who's at the real Marky P., I wonder, is there a fake Marky P out there? Someone going yeah, around probably. pretending to be Marky P. You Damaging the, the good name of Marky P. The Marky P brand, like knockoff bag sellers. It's terrible. Anyway, <laughs> he says, shitly morning to you, Blog and Gunnerblog. Petter's time seems to be up. And while it's very sad to see, let's look to the future. With Ospina likely to be off in the summer, is it time for Matt Macy to be given a chance to shine? Surely we have little to lose. Thoughts? And that follows on questions from uh, a number of people who are sort of saying, should we not now, given the fact that the Premier League campaign is essentially dead, 13 points behind the top four with no chance of getting in there, should we not maybe uh, play some of the youth players? Is it not a good time to give them some games? There isn't really a huge amount of pressure. They could add something fresh and different. Why not? What do you think? I think it's about balance because I just don't think 
the club can allow the results to slide so much. I know that we've said, well, look, we're probably going to get sixth, whatever happens. But I just think that, you know, you need to maintain some kind of momentum in the league to give you a chance in Europe. I don't necessarily think, we've shown this season that it's not really possible to kind of switch between two 11s and maintain any kind of form. So, but I would like to see some players give an opportunity. Matt Macy probably wouldn't be the guy who's top of my list. But, you know, let's have a look at Maitland-Niles in central midfield in the Premier League. You know, let's give Reese Nelson a game. We've not let him go out on loan. We've kept him in the squad. Let's give him a game in his proper position. Could he do worse than Alex Awobi's doing in his poor form at the moment? Probably not. So let's give him a chance. Well, there. I think there's a, there's we... um, there's an issue there as well with Reese Nelson because his contract is not far from being up. And as yet, right. there is no sign of him signing a new one. Um, you can read into that what you will. But maybe if you give a guy some football, some Premier League experience, and he is this talent, he, he does have this potential, and you put a little bit of faith in him and a bit of trust in him and you give him some games and either he performs or he doesn't perform, maybe it gives you clarity on both sides, but uh, it might convince him that his future is well served at Arsenal. Because right Absolutely. now, it looks like his future is going to be somewhere else. Well, and, you know, Reese Nelson's uh, very good friends with uh, Jaden Sancho, I believe it is, who left Manchester City last summer, went to Borussia Dortmund, spent the first few months in Dortmund's second team. And since January, since the the resumption of football in Germany after the winter break has been a regular part of the Dortmund squad, starting games, involved. He's a kid, a teenager who wouldn't be getting a look in at City in all likelihood. And he's he's gone to the Bundesliga and he's making a name for himself. And there's no way that Nelson won't be looking at that. He's an international colleague of his and thinking, would that opportunity mm. be there for me, either on the, on, the, on the continent or in another team domestically? And I'm sure, well, I mean, Dortmund are a massive club. Sancho might well be very happy to make the grade there but if he ever wants to come back England there'll be no shortage of takers um, it's interesting because I don't know if it's been announced by the club but I know Eddie Nketiah has agreed uh, a new yeah. very lucrative deal they, at Arsenal they did a, They did uh, announce that there were three young players who they announced was it Joe Willock uh, Nketiah and I think maybe Matt Macy could have been one of them right um, so Nelson kind of conspicuous by his absence then from that list yes and uh, very very conspicuous yeah well I uh, that would be such a shame because if you look think back to pre-season last year he really was one of the highlights wasn't he I know those are friendly games but he was talked about in such glowing terms by fans and manager alike I hope that it's not all gone a bit sour for him so he's someone I'd like to see uh play some football I'd love to see Rob Holding given a chance in the Premier League I know he's not had the best season but I still think there's a player in there I still think he's a superior prospect to Callum Chambers um, maybe Matt Macy what do you think about Matt Macy I don't know maybe why not um, I don't think it's probably uh, it maybe a bit too much to ask for a young goalkeeper but um yeah, it I was. Mean, we, we might. It, it was Enkedia. Sorry, it was uh, Enkedia, Matt Macy, and Ben Sheaf who signed uh, contract right. extensions, and I think Joe Willock signed one a little bit earlier bit in the earlier, season. Yeah. yeah, I mean, look at this point. Uh, I'd like to see it because um, you know I was writing down some things that this club have to do this summer, and we focus on the manager. And that's a huge thing. Whatever way you want to look at it, whether you believe it's going to happen, whether it should happen, 
changing a manager like Arsene Wenger is a big, big deal, right? Mm. Goalkeeper, that's an issue. Our defence is an issue in terms of personnel. Midfield is a serious, serious issue in terms of personnel. The front uh, going forward, you know, you've got, uh, we've done we've done business there. We've obviously brought Mkhitaryan in. We've got um, Obama Yang in. Lacazette is there. There is some young talent uh, in Keddy. Obviously, they see something in um, wide positions. Maybe you could argue we need to do something there. Mm-hmm. And our youth system, youth players like Reese Nelson, who may be uh, unwilling uh, at this moment in time to sign a new deal. Uh, you know, th- there's a lot to there's a lot to do. Jack Wilshire is not signing a new deal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's on offer. We know it's on offer, and he hasn't signed it. So, you know, there's a there's a lot to sort out at this club right now, and um, it's such a huge amount of work that that's why the longer things drag on, the more difficult it's going to become. And I tell you, between the World Cup final and the transfer deadline, with the transfer deadline being moved forward to before the kickoff of the season, there's about four weeks. So. It's a very pressurised summer this summer. Mm. It's a, it is, in some respects, a terrible summer to be changing manager. <laughs> but I pray that's not used as an excuse yet again. Yeah, yeah. Um... It's funny, isn't it? Because often, previously, there was so much talk about, well, there's no replacements available. And I, when I look at the Premier League now, I feel... I look at some of the other managers of other clubs and I do feel a bit envious and I feel that we missed the boat with several to be honest. Um, Guardiola, the obvious one, mm. I, I guess. But you'd have to say Klopp, I think. Um, and even someone the calibre of Conte, as crazy as he is, you do wonder what he might have been able to do. But uh, this summer, because of Arsenal's kind of decreased status in the game, it feels like there are many more plausible candidates because it's it's not a question that anybody could do a better job, but there, it feels like there are plenty who could. So yeah. there is at least that. Yeah. Could, could I just point out at this point that, like, regardless of how much you want Arsene Wenger to go, uh, at no point should any of us be considering Brendan Rodgers as the Arsenal manager. <laughs> I mean, let's let's draw a line here, folks. We all want to see change. Well, no, I'll, obviously I can't speak for everyone. We don't all want to see change, but many people want to see change. But... I, if I have a broken foot, I don't want them to like uh, replace it with a bockety old uh, wheel. Another surgery uh, analogy from you today. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> You're getting on the operating table soon. Uh, Brendan Rodgers, did you see he gave an interview kind of saying he was flattered but downplaying the speculation? I mean, I imagine that had you grinding your gears. <laughs> I, I didn't. Uh, I tried to avoid uh, inflicting... Brendan Rodgers on myself as much as possible in any way. So uh, I, I won't look at his interviews and everything else. And I have uh, a good uh, online mate of mine who uh, runs a, a Celtic site. Uh, what's it called? He's going to give out to me here. But I know him from the from the Ole Ole days. We went through the Ole uh, Ole yeah. thing together. Um, uh, well, when you've been through that, it's a close bond. Uh, yeah, Kevin, who uh, does uh, the Celtic State of Mind podcast, he said, look, he's uh, people think the parody Brennan is real. And he said, I looked at the Liverpool documentary and uh, he's older and wiser now, but he thinks he's great, doing a great job at Celtic, uh, in which case I say, great, you can keep him forever and ever and ever for as long as you want. We don't, I, I don't want him. I'm not going to try and make a case for Brendan Rodgers at Arsenal. He can stay at Celtic until the end of time. 
as far as I'm I'm, concerned. I mean, he's a terrible man. He's an absolutely terrible man. I don't like his teeth. I don't like his face. I don't like the way he speaks. I do have a kind of uh, imprint of my mind of that Liverpool team where Steven Gerrard fell over. And I, I did like that team, I must be honest. But... That was the one season that he managed to get Liverpool into the top four. It was not the consistent success that he portrays it as. Yeah. So, I yeah, I, I would be surprised if he was the man. Uh, I don't think he will be. But I wanted to ask you this question, actually. We okay. talked about Matt, Matt Macy. And Stephen Hoare got in touch and said, question for our blog and gunner blog. Uh, whilst it's clear that Petr Cech is not the goalkeeper he once was, who wouldn't be nervous behind such a porous, disorganised defence? Likewise, is Chesney starting to fulfil his potential only because he's behind a disciplined rearguard? I think that plays a part, for sure. Cech played behind a brilliant defence at Chelsea over the years, didn't he? And uh, there's no question that that made a difference to to how good he looked. But I mean, some will say that it's easier, not easier maybe, but you can look a really good goalkeeper playing behind a bad defence because you've got to make lots of saves. Mm. Whereas the guy who's playing behind a very good defence is maybe only called into action once a game or twice a game. And it's the ability to to perform or to produce when you're called upon so rarely that sets a good goalkeeper apart. I mean, I think the thing is, you look at goalkeepers that come to Arsenal and they get worse. And goalkeepers that leave Arsenal get better. They they tend yeah. to get better. And I don't know, is it just some sort of weird goalkeeping kryptonite at our club? Or could there be some deeper meaning behind it all? What do you think? Well, I mean, there's been question marks over the coaching area of the goalkeeping uh, the, 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 Goal the goalkeeping <laughs> department of the coaching team. Goalkeepers. Um, mm. The goalkeeper, um, I mean, I heard something about a week or so ago about a very big Premier League team uh, looking for a goalkeeper not uh, and potentially scouting Lucas Fabianski, who has been in excellent form for Swansea by all accounts and mm. developed into, apparently statistically, he's one of the best goalkeepers in the Premier League. When you look at the, the shots he saves that he shouldn't save, etc., um, his numbers are amazing. I mean, that tells its own story, doesn't it? He looked, I mean, towards the end of his Arsenal career, he was pretty decent, but prior to that, an absolute mess. I think Czech, I'm surprised at how much criticism there has been of Czech this season. I know there's a stat going around about seven errors leading directly to goals, but I do think that as an exposed goalkeeper, you're going to be inevitably more prone to making errors. I actually think there are games where he has really kept the scoreline respectable. Yeah. Um, several games, not not particularly the North London derby. That's the one that sticks in the memory, I think, because it would have been so painful to lose by a, a bigger scoreline. He really kept, the, kept it down. Um, but I, I can see that football is evolving and that, you know, Czech is not necessarily the man for tomorrow. I mean, if, mm. if Pep Guardiola came in as Arsenal manager, I think the first thing he would do is replace Czech um, because he's not really... The sort after of he stopped weeping. Kind of <laughs> yeah, after he's like, why, why oh, have you done this to me? Look at all this work I have to do. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think Czech would be the first change he would make. And I think Arsenal need a... a a new goalkeeper this summer. That's that's very clear. Um, Arsenal need a lot of new shit, James. That's the problem. That's the problem. If you if we couldn't afford Johnny Evans in January, then can we afford the goalkeeper, the centre half, and the central midfielder and the wide attacker 
that the first team is crying out for in the space of one summer? Well, I think the financial results show us that perhaps we probably could have afforded Johnny Evans. But, you, <laughs> you know, I'd say we probably could have, but maybe, maybe, um, yeah, I was going to say maybe it's time for Stan Kroenke to start operating in a different way. That maybe there's a need to take some risks financially in order to get this team back to where we needed to get to. Um, but yeah. that seems... I'm not optimistic about that. No, me, I'm not you. either. I'm not either. But look, I think we've uh, we've got to call time on this one. Um, as fun as it's been. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, look, I, I hope uh, as ever that it has been in some way cathartic for the people who are listening to this, having to uh, hear us find a, a new way to talk about a defeat to Brighton. That's what we should do. Arsenal lost to yeah. <laughs> Brighton. Brighton and Hove Albion. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, look, Five, it is what two. it is. Yeah. Goals to one. <laughs> but then we could just say Scott Ramastafi was terrible and we would be sure that could be in every week. So that'd be fine. We wouldn't have to change that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, I'll just go through it. I'll uh, I'll make some kind of computerised version of, of us and I can just press the button. It'll mix it all together and, you know, bang out some kind of a podcast. But look, yeah. we do appreciate you being here. Thanks as ever for listening. Uh, thanks for giving us a, a review and a rating on iTunes if you've done that. If you haven't, that would be greatly appreciated too. And uh, I'll be here on Friday with a uh, an Arse cast following the Milan game. That should be fun as well. Another yeah. another cheery one. And we'll uh, post details of when we're going to do our phone-in show and everything else uh, on patreon.com forward slash arseblog. So until the next one, take it easy. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.